Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. A major developing story in the sports and streaming space. Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery joining forces to launch a joint streaming platform. The news breaking in just the last hour. New details coming out right now, or David Faber will be here with the latest. Plus, China rising, the Shanghai Composite seeing its best day in nearly two years, while ETFs tied to the region surge too. Can the moves by Beijing meaningfully help Chinese stocks rebound? We'll debate that. And later, just sell it. The chart master is out with a bearish call on Nike shares of the shoe giant. We're up nearly 3% today. He'll tell us why he doesn't think this swoosh higher will last. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with two big earnings movers after the bell. Shares of Ford jumping after the automaker. Topped estimates for the first quarter. Snap, on the other hand, plunging as much as 30% after it gave weak guidance for Q1. We'll get to those numbers in just a bit. But we do want to start off with the breaking news in the media space. ESPN, Fox, Warner Brothers teaming up to launch a sports streaming platform this year. Let's get straight to David Faber, who's got all the details right now. David. Yeah, Melissa, this could be something that you can actually uh, download as soon as the fall. At least that seems to be the hope of the three key partners here who will be contributing all of their sports programming to this yet-to-be-named entity. Now, I am told they're going to come up with a name soon. They're also going to have to come up with a price, of course. The idea here is to appeal to the ever-growing number of people who no longer have a cable subscription, particularly perhaps uh, young men who like sports but don't want to pay 150 bucks a month to have cable. And so wherever the price is, it obviously will be far below that number. And then they obviously as well, these uh, consumers conceivably would also have their entertainment options via other direct-to-consumer apps that we know well. Uh, The two or three parties, my understanding is, have been talking for a a bit of a period of time. Disney and Fox appear to agree to uh, uh, an initial deal. And in fact, um, Fox has something at least somewhat similar in Australia, is my understanding, uh, called KO, which has brought together a number of um, uh, sports programmers to distribute something in an app somewhat similar. They brought in Turner as well. Uh, and now you've got something that conceivably will appeal to a wide variety and breadth and depth of sport fans, given uh, they're going to have all of hockey, pro football, basketball, baseball, all the playoffs, of course, of those. College sports in terms of almost all the big leagues, most of the NCAA tournament, golf, tennis, cycling, soccer, and on from there. Um, each, of the, each of the partners will own a third of the entity, but important to point out here as well, that doesn't mean that they'll each get a third of the revenues. It's my understanding that, for example, ESPN, which has higher fees and pays more to sports leagues, will get, as it flows through, a higher percentage of the revenues conceivably from the new app. So while it will each be owned a third, that is the entity itself, uh, the revenues will flow through to each of the partners in a different proportion. Um, And the entity will not be bidding on sports rights on its own. It is simply an aggregation of the properties and a distribution mechanism to bring in more people, uh, but 
um, each of the actual networks, ESPN, Turner, Fox Sports, will continue to uh, bid on various sports rights. So uh, not perhaps something that hasn't been thought about, but they are bringing this to fruition. The parties do seem quite enthusiastic, as you might imagine. And again, they hope to bring it as soon uh, as this fall. It does not, Melissa, impact the continued conversations that ESPN proper is having with potential equity investors. It's something we've talked about for some time, for example, with the NFL, which might contribute some of its cable networks at some agreed upon valuation for a percentage ownership of ESPN. It's my understanding those talks continue. And it also doesn't impact the future plans that Disney has to have a direct-to-consumer offering of ESPN on its own. We may get more details, in fact, tomorrow when, ES, uh, when Disney, excuse me, reports earnings after the bell in terms of the timing. My understanding is the introduction of that product could be, let's call it, roughly a year or so away, and it would be sort of a different product than this one. But uh, certainly an important moment. Melissa, that's the news as we have it right now. Seems pretty confusing, David, at least at first blush. I mean, if these entities are going to be bidding on sports rights individually, you know, the first reaction that I think many people had to this news was that this would put sort of a lid on how high those prices were getting. But if each entity is going to bid themselves, well, first of all, would they would they still keep the lid on because they're bidding against each other and eventually it feeds into this one app, which they to some level share or are they going to still be bidding uh, in a in a very fierce and, and heated way because you earn those sports where you, you buy the sports rights and then you can put that on the linear channel as well. That I think is the expectation but mm-hmm. I think your question is a good one um, and you do have to wonder now remember they are also competing against the likes of Amazon and increasingly even perhaps Apple as well on certain of these sports rights. Uh, but my understanding, and again, why I made the distinction between the ownership structure and the revenue flow through is that if you're paying more for certain sports, you're going to get a bigger percentage of the overall revenue from wherever this thing is priced in terms of the subscription fee. If you're ESPN, for example, as would be the case right now, and over time that may change. So that may perhaps also be impetus to continue to bid, not to mention, of course, being able to feed your linear networks, which are still of importance. David, it's Karen. I'm a little bit confused. I thought at the top you said that they are contributing all of their sports, each of the three contributing all of their sports, but then talked to, you talked about ESPN, I think, being still a standalone. Yes, it will be. In other words, if you have a cable subscription, you're still going to get ESPN. You're still paying for it. You're still getting it. So, But everything on ESPN will be available to the purchaser of this app, along with every sports that Fox offers and every sport that is offered by Warner Brothers Discovery, broadly speaking. All right. Dave, we're going to let you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I don't know, Karen's, (laughs) (laughs) her book is a little puzzled. Um, I think we'll try and sort this out with Rich Greenfield, who's waiting in the wings. David, we appreciate your reporting. Keep us posted. (laughs) I I will. I'm sorry I left you confused. (laughs) Rare. (laughs) David Faber. Um, Let's bring in Rich Greenfield of Light Shed Partners. Rich, maybe you can shed some light on this. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I mean, wow. We love shedding light, Melissa. Yes. Um, Let's first shed the light. I think this is a $30 to $40 product. So let's start with price point. I know David uh, was kind of asking that question. I think this is going to be something that's quite expensive. You know, you're talking about a lot of sports networks. And remember, this is not Hulu. So, like, this is not Hulu for sports, meaning it's not like it's only going to work 
when the sports are on television. I believe what this is, is taking the linear networks, whether we're talking um, Fox, whether we're talking Fox Sports, whether we're talking ESPN or TBS and TNT, I believe all of those networks are going to be part of this. And so while the focus is obviously sports, I believe all of the content on those networks will be on this service. So you're talking of, you know, because you have to have affiliates and pay affiliates like Retrans, this is going to be an expensive service, not YouTube TV expensive, which crossed 8 million subs today. But this is still going to be much more expensive than the Hulu's, Disney Plus's, Netflix's of the world because of all of those sports rights that are bundled in here. The real question is, you know, if I think about winners and losers right now, this is obviously, you know, a nice positive step for fans. It's going to make it a little bit easier to access just the content they want if they don't care about a lot of the non-sports cable networks out there or even some of the smaller channels that are out there. It's clearly not a good thing for companies like Paramount who are not being included in this. I'd say it's not good for um, NBC, although obviously within the size and scale of Comcast, I think it's less of a negative than it probably is for Paramount, which has you know, been obviously the subject of a lot of um, M&A speculation recently. Rich, November 8th, Disney reported fourth quarter. Amongst many things, Bob Iger said, we're committed to building ESPN into the preeminent digital sports platform. Is this part of that vision or is this sort of coming out of left field to you? I mean, it actually seems like sort of a pivot from there, doesn't it? I mean, it actually mm -hmm. sounds like, hey, something that we've been talking pretty openly about is that having a single sports service, meaning ESPN on its own. Yes, I love Monday Night Football. I like college football a lot. But, you know, the, the ratings are very heavy, certainly focused around football season. How do you build something that people subscribe to all year? I think that's sort of what this acknowledges, that it's hard to have a service with just what ESPN has. So, yes, as David pointed out, I certainly think they'll still be an ESPN direct to consumer. But I feel like this is an acknowledgement that for sports to really work, you need a larger bundle than what any one company sports can achieve. And I think if you were to talk, you know, I mean, think about what Fox Fox for years has resisted launching its own streaming service, saying we don't think of Fox streaming really works direct to consumer. They've waited, obviously, and are now putting it into this bundle, which I think is sort of what ESPN probably should have done from the beginning. It's hard to be on your own in the sports world because there isn't that sort of year-round viewership. Sports are very seasonal and very tribal. And so I think this makes a lot of sense to work together. Mm -hmm. Why they didn't include NBC and, and CBS, obviously, is a big question for these companies in the weeks ahead. Hey, Rich, it's Tim. But who gets pulled up here? And it seems to me like Warner Brothers of the three get, gets pulled up. And it gets into this, pardon the pun on this, too. I mean, uh, the flow through is not going to be linear in terms of the, the linear TV dynamic. In other words, um, so we know that they're not going to get paid equal amounts. But it does seem to me the other side of this is that I worry about Disney Plus, where there's a lot of people that had that bundle. And sure, they had Disney Plus, they had all the Disney stuff, but they really wanted more the access to the sports. But they took everything for a little bit more of a price. I, I would be worried about that. Look, I think the we're talking, you know, um, WBD. I think this is definitely a surprise that they're put into this group. You know, they don't have major NFL rights. And so I think that was sort of a piece that people were looking at it going without football. Are they as important? You know, I think there's been a lot of conversation. Does WBD need to merge with NBC Universal ultimately to basically have the power of the NFL? So this is really interesting that they're included. I think this is definitely a win for Zaslav to be included in this triumvirate. 
that's going after the sports problem. Now, I, I will say, Tim, at a $30 to $40 price point, and it doesn't have CBS, you know, NFL rights, doesn't have, you know, sort of the some of the Big Ten stuff that's on there, like doesn't have EPL, doesn't have Sunday Night Football. Yes, you can sign up for Peacock and Paramount Plus separately. But I do wonder how appealing is this service? I think, you know, that's sort of the missing you know question is like it isn't really the everything sports service. It's getting in the right direction. I think it's a tremendous step forward for the three management teams to actually start this and try to move forward with something innovative and different. I, I do have a question of like, what does this mean for Charter, Comcast, DirecTV? Like, how are they going to react? And they're going to say, why can't we bundle this exact same product? Uh, I think there's, you know, my guess is there are going to be a lot of questions being asked on conference calls over the course of the next yeah. few weeks about how can this actually be achieved relative to existing agreements. Hey, Rich, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. Do you is this something that would need antitrust approval? Meaning to work together. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, they... it's a fascinating question. I, Karen, no one's asked me that, obviously, in the last 20 minutes. It's an interesting question of, you know, is there going to be any sort of attack on this is like working together? It's not the leagues themselves. Um, obviously, the companies have already done something like Hulu. So there's certainly precedent for working together. Um, and I would say, you know, there's certainly this is certainly not comprehensive in its control of sports rights. So it would surprise me uh, if there was, but I would never say never. The one winner that I think we should be talking about, though, this would seem to be a huge win for the NBA and Adam Silver. Because if this really helps, as you mentioned before, if this is helping WBD be part of this, you have to believe that that means that WBD is going to retain rights for the for the NBA. Like people were worried. We were worried that they would lose those rights. I can't imagine they're going to be part of this joint venture and not retain NBA rights. And so it probably means that both WBD and ESPN are paying up to retain NBA rights, which is clearly going to be a, a nice win for Adam Silver and the NBA. Hey, Rich, it's Dan. Um, like, just let's say this thing launches for NFL. You, you mentioned the term NFL a lot. You know, I was just looking at my uh, YouTube subscription. It's $73 a month. I pay $11 a month for ESPN+. Plus. I kind of have everything I need there, and it's all streaming. It's all over the top. It seems like this is going to be a very confusing offering, and it, depending upon how far ahead of time they get it out before the NFL, like, is this thing DOA? Is it just, like, to, to the point, we weren't confused by David's yeah. reporting. We were confused by all the offerings and why it needs to exist and why it needs to exist the way you just described it without a bunch of other stuff that you already get on YouTube TV. The answer is yes. So I'm going to first say you're right, Dan, 100 percent. Two, I would say you do take YouTube TV and you don't have regional sports networks, right? Like so there is sports content that isn't there. You couldn't watch the NFL, you know, the Travis Kelsey Peacock game. You couldn't watch on your YouTube TV. You had to get Peacock. And so the need for multiple services, this fragmentation of sports is a problem. Now, I think it is a positive that sort of the sports rights that are being owned by the three companies are being put into here. So incremental Big Ten streaming service, ESPN Plus is all being put in, so it isn't separate. But you're 100% right. This does not solve the one-stop shop for all sports rights for a sports fan. YouTube TV is still better. It's obviously more expensive. But even there, you said you're subscribing to ESPN Plus in addition. So there is no magic bullet for sports. I think the one clear standout here is the loser is going to be basic cable entertainment channels 
that are not part of this package are going to have yet one more headwind and create even more challenges for these legacy media companies that don't have their channels in here. Rich, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. It's exhausting and confusing. It really is. It really is. Uh, By the way, don't miss an exclusive interview with Disney CEO Bob Iger. That's tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC when Disney reports earnings. So let's start off with that. Why is Disney the one that's trading lower, Tim? Well, first of all, the the intrinsic value or the sum of the parts on Disney and what they were going to do with Disney at one point was a real catalyst to Disney shares, uh, to ESPN. So what was ESPN going to be worth? Uh, and and as Guy pointed out, I mean, Bob Iger's made it clear that there was a very strategic dynamic here. I think that's part of it. Uh, I think uh, to the extent that Look, some of the differentiation of Disney to me is that product. And so when they've started to merge, but I, I, I don't know where I can come up with the quantitative analysis on this. It's only qualitative. But I do think that the Disney Plus bundle that includes ESPN Plus is something that pulls in a lot of sports fans that might not otherwise have Disney. And I'm one of them. At the same time, Rich made an interesting point that sports is tribal, right? So you like a certain thing and you order, you have a certain app because you like that season of sports. It's hard to build a year-round product. They're creating a year-round product. So if sports, if, if, if you're only going to watch certain sports for certain seasons, you're still not solving for that problem because why would you pay for everything else if you don't no- normally watch everything else? Well, so I guess this cannibalization problem, right? If you, this is the, the one-stop shop, do you need the half stop? That's what, right. Yeah. That is the. I That's don't. I don't, I don't understand. It's, right. it's not like <laughs> I'll, I'll subscribe to this and I'm going to start watching whatever it is besides college football. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe that happens, but it, it seems like to Rich's point, people like what they like. They want to follow the teams that they want to follow. They want to follow the leagues. They want to follow certain seasons, and you subscribe accordingly. Yeah, and I'll go back to the question you asked Tim because that's what I'm sort of honing in on like this doesn't happen without ESPN there's no way right Right. so Disney obviously had to get involved so the question is why would they do that if ESPN and I'm not saying they're the crown jewel but clearly they want to build upon that last quarter something has changed I think over the last month and a half that obviously it's you know way beyond my pay grade I'll say this Disney's traded pretty well since that last quarter was trading 84 into the quarter got up to 99 today now they really have to answer some questions tomorrow. You know, it's interesting. Uh, David Faber mentioned that this is going after maybe a demo. So younger men who just like a lot of sports and they're also doing a lot of sports gambling. And so when I hear this all the time, I'm not a sports gambler, but you hear about the streaming That's services. That's surprising to me, by the way. And, and the, well, I actually Sorry. went, I went, thir- I did gamble <laughs> a little bit on the NFL. He knows this a little bit. I went 33, 10 and three in the last month of these. Oh, I mean, okay. Pretty, pretty okay. good. No, I'm just saying it's all documented on my DraftKings account, but I'll just say this. Um, but, but here's the deal. There's a latency problem with the streamers, right? So when you're watching it, you know, through traditional cable, through le- so, so people don't like it because there's a lot of in-game uh, gambling and the like here. So to me, I think that like that's a, a kind of really interesting issue. If you're going after that demographic, that demographic, they want to be watching it on TV. They don't want to be watching it on a streamer. Maybe they're sweating out against Disney. Uh, so Disney's and all these three are sweating it out against Amazon, Apple, and, mm. and Google. I, I mean, you know, the, the world of the sports media landscape is changing a lot. And that may be part of this, too. I just think it would be hard to wrestle these three to a deal, right, where they each have their different revenue streams, they each have their different contributions. they got to figure out how to price. I, I, does it change? The revenue streams would presumably change, you know, potentially quarter to quarter. Yes. Season to season, mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's, and that's going to adjust every single time. It seems kind of complicated. 
for one third one. Third I'll say third. this, you know, you watch the World Series, and you have to go from TBS one night over to, to ABC mm-hmm. one night, Fox another. I mean, but that's if you're, madness. But, you know, so but the I'm, good I'm news is if you're a Met fan, you don't have to watch well, hold on. <laughs> Just really, really quickly, I know no, you guys no, want to get out. No, no, guys, but this is actually what Apple TV does well. This is what those aggregators do well. They're all logged in there, so it is serving as an interface. So we're back to the bundling, unbundling, bundling, bundling, and now it's getting a lot more confusing. Mets, by the way, in a World Series in 2015, Yanks last in 2009. Yeah, we won in 2009. Talk the truth here. Anyway, coming up, a number of names on the move in the after hour session four, jumping after reporting results. A burrito blowout for Chipotle and Snap shares plummeting after its earnings report. We'll go inside all the numbers. More Fast Money in two. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Ford. Shares are popping after the automaker topped earnings and revenue estimates for the latest quarter. The company also giving strong guidance for the year. Phil Lebeau joins us with all the details. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa. A very nice report if you are a Ford investor, especially when you look at the guidance for 2024. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Let's look at the Q4 results. Better than expected, beating the street on the top and the bottom line by a wide margin, earning 29 cents a share, street expecting 14 cents, revenue $3 billion better than expected. And the businesses, when you look at each of them, two of the three delivered nice numbers. First of all, commercial vehicles, we have said this time and again, Ford Pro is killing it. And they once again delivered in the fourth quarter $1.81 billion profit. Ice and hybrid business, $813 million. EVs, they continue to lose money there, $1.5 billion. By the way, CFO John Lawler just said on the conference call they expect to lose money on EVs this year as well. But here he is last hour talking to us about his view of where the market is right now in Ford's position. We have an incredible commercial business, which was up 20% this year. We expect it to grow again in 2024. Our ice business, Ford Blue, is doing very well. It grew the last two years. Profits were up. And, you know, we at Ford have an incredible position because we can offer our consumers choice across all powertrains, ice, HEVs, and electric vehicles. So we cover the broad spectrum of what consumers want. All right, here's the guidance for 2024. Adjusted EBIT range of 12 of 10 to 12 billion dollars. Free cash flow this year expected to come in 6 to 7 billion dollars. CapEx between 8 and 9 and a half billion dollars. And as you take a look at shares of Ford over the last year, two other notes here. If you are a Ford shareholder, you've got two dividends coming your way. 
one in the first quarter for 15 cents a share, and then a special dividend. The company has just announced it'll also be awarded in the first quarter, a little bit later on in the quarter, 18 cents a share. Any way you look at this, Melissa, this is the kind of report that Ford investors were looking for. Some reaffirmation in terms of both the commercial vehicle as well as the ICE hybrid business. That's where they've made their money, and they're planning to make real big money on, in those two areas this year as they continue to do that pivot towards EVs or away from EVs, but more towards hybrids because that's where the demand is. I thought it was interesting, too, Phil, that Ford said that they're going to defer certain capital investments until, you know, in EVs yeah. until demand justifies it. So they're they're acknowledging it in terms of the spend that they had planned. Yeah. And they already said, what, a couple of months ago that they were going to defer about 12 billion dollars in EV investment to some point in the future. And they said at that time, which they reiterated today, which is. We are going to be very judicious when it comes to making EV investments, not giving up on EVs. But if the market's not there, they're not just going to pour money into it. Yeah. Phil, thank you. You Phil LeBeau. So let's say interest rates were an issue for a lot of the automakers and they've peaked. Let's say labor costs were a big question mark. But now the strike is settled. So you had two major headwinds in 2023 and they're in the rearview mirror, so to speak. Well, there's a couple of things. And, and I, you know, as a share, Ford shareholder, I, I do like a two and a half percent div yield. Now, when you add in that interim div is what it works out to me. Um, it also seems like the auto companies has been we're holding back some goodies um, from the unions during a pretty uh, painful and, and uh, you know, pugnacious exchange. Um, I, I think it's a case where if you look at this company on those cost savings, they're talking about two billion in global cost savings. And you look at the free cash flow that they've guided for. It's adjusted free cash flow. So I don't know what it's adjusted for, but six, six to seven billion or Six and a half billion in the middle on a 48 billion market cap means this is a really high free cash flow yield for a company that people thought was really inefficient. They're talking about an ROIC of 20 percent up from 14. So this is a new age for a company that a couple of years or about a year, year and a half ago, uh, you know, clumsily told us what they were doing wrong. I think they were very honest with it. And, and I think, you know, this is a real turnaround. These are tech-like moves in the after hours. For <laughs> uh, yes. so we had four, we have four right. up six plus percent. We had nice. GM up almost ten percent in the after hours on its earnings before. Right. Uh, well, so I think the narrative has changed completely from this is a melting ice cube business. Or, no, Pardon the pun expression. intended. What? Yeah. I was ice say. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, now it's icy hot to use a Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal <laughs> reference, I guess. Um, so that those multiples of mid single digits are re-rating, and they probably should never have been there. Let's get to Snap now. Shares of the social media company plummeting 30% after reporting a revenue miss for the fourth quarter. It also gave light guidance for Q1. Julia Borson's got all the details. Julia. Yeah, look at the shares of Snap down over 30% now. That's really dragged down by a revenue miss and also first quarter guidance of a much larger loss than analysts had anticipated. The company guiding to a first quarter EBITDA loss in a range of 55 million to 95 million. The consensus was for a loss of 22 million. Now this comes after the company reported fourth quarter earnings of eight cents per share. That was two cents better than anticipated and adjusted EBITDA in a range way above estimates. But the company warning, quote, we estimate that the onset of the conflict in the Middle East was a headwind to year over year growth of approximately two percentage points in the fourth quarter. On the upside, the company said that its user growth was ahead of expectations and announced that Snapchat Plus, which hits 7 million subscribers, finished the year with an annualized revenue run rate of $249 million. That is the first time we've gotten revenue numbers on this subscription service. Now, while we see the stock down, we have to note some, some bright points 
pointed out by Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snap, saying they made progress with small and medium-sized advertisers as well as the ad platform. We'll have lots of questions for Evan Spiegel when we talk to him in an exclusive interview that's tomorrow morning in Money Movers. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Warson, let's go to the chief uh, Snap trader on this desk. That'd be Dan Nathan. Oh, really? Fair enough. Um, all right. So the stock doubled right in the last few months. And it just, you know, it was left for dead uh, in the fall. And people got pretty excited about just I, I don't know what they got excited about. When you think about Meta and you think about the monetization, you think about their ad serving and all the stuff that has been exciting in and around that story and their ability to harness the technology they've been investing in. And, and it demonstrated in that quarter and that result. And that's why you had that um, that gap higher. Snap is obviously not doing that same level investment. And, you know, to me, it, it's a really hard one. You know, TikTok has been eating their lunch. Over, over the last couple of years, um, they've been cutting costs pretty dramatically. And so it's kind of showing in the product and their ability to monetize those users. So to me, it's a hard one. I'll just say this. And we've done this, I think, almost every quarter. You know, the stock gaps down 20, 30 percent, like routinely. Wait a few days and then you buy it. And then it kind of fills in the gap over the next couple of months. I know that sounds really cavalier. The last thing I'll just say is if these guys are doing this poorly, I can't imagine how badly Twitter is doing Coming up, a burrito blowout for Chipotle. <laughs> Shares of the fast casual chain jumping after its latest earnings report. We've got the details in the quarter next. Plus, the China trade stock surging as talks of stimulus come into focus. How to play that move ahead. Back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chipotle higher in extended hours after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom line. So let's get to Kate Rogers for more. Kate. Melissa Chipotle with a big Q4 beating, as you said, on the top and bottom line. Same store sales also coming in much higher than estimates at 8.4%. That's thanks to a big traffic bump of up over 7% to a lesser extent price hikes. The company said food costs did increase due to a higher mix of beef as well as inflation across its menu, most notably on beef, of course, produce and queso. For 2024, CMG guiding full-year comparable restaurant sales growth in the mid-single-digit range and 285 to 315 new restaurant openings. Now, on the call, which just wrapped, uh, CEO Brian Nichols said that they plan to pilot some of their automated digital make line, including the avocado, which scoops and uh, peels those avocados, rather, in 2024. He added that the return of carne asada for a limited time also outperformed expectations, as did its chicken al pastor. There are one to two limited-time offers on the way for this year. No decisions have been made yet on price hikes as a result of the $20 an hour minimum wage coming in California in April, where Chipotle has 15 percent of its locations. One more interesting thing, Nichols said, they are gaining sales traction with every uh, consumer income cohort, which is something that you just do not hear in the sector, uh, particularly at this point in time. Melissa, back over to you. Kate, did you say that they're considering more price hikes? I'm just wondering, like year on year, how much have prices gone up on their menu? 
they they don't do it every quarter, Melissa. They last uh-huh. did it in the fall, and now they're considering a price hike uh, given this $20 an, an hour minimum wage hike in April, but they didn't give the uh, year-on-year number yet because they haven't decided what it's going to be. But they have about 15% of their locations out here in California, which is a sizable number, and so they will wind up feeling that, and consumers likely will as well. All right. Kate, thank you. Kate thank Rogers. You. Burrito blowout. That, no, no. As we like to say. That is a, that's a blowout. And Mr. Nichols is a huge fan. You would know. Is that well? Of everybody here, in terms of blowouts, (laughs) I I would know. Listen, three hundred new stores this year. Operating margins much better than expected. Restaurant margins, different number, much better than expected. I mean, the EPS was an absolute blowout, and they're now they're integrating technology. Auto. 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 I can't say that, but good for them. Margins will continue to improve. I think digital is now thirty-six percent of overall revenues. That's a good sign. Look, I mean, the stock, that's the question, right? right? Do you buy it here? Yes. I mean, at 47 times, at, at 47 times, I mean, it's it's like a, it's Nvidia always been expensive. Lily. It's always been expensive. And at McDonald's, they're watching as well. They rue the day that they spun out Chipotle. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot to love, right? Uh, same store sales, unit growth, ticket growth, all of that. Great. It all comes down to the same thing. This happens every single time. You talk about Snap being all over the place. Chipotle is almost never all over the place. They're always better, 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 which makes me think they sort of have more control over their revenue and bottom line than, than chance, mm-hmm. right? It's a lot, a lot, lot better than that. But I come down to the 46, as I've said for many, many quarters. Too expensive, can't own it. Coming up, we're giving Lilly a look. The pharma stock losing steam after an initial earnings bump, the numbers they posted, and how the weight loss drug boom is shaping that trade ahead. But first, China stocks catching a bit in a big way as the government steps up intervention in the market. But can the rally last? We'll ask one top expert. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P bouncing in and out of negative negative territory before ultimately finishing higher its third positive session for the Dow climbing 141 points in the Nasdaq, squeezing out a small gain as well. Some more after hours action, VF Corp and Gilead both dropping after their reports, while Elf Beauty and Yum China both higher. Shares of Boeing higher today despite regulators from the NTSB saying bolts were missing from the 737 MAX door that blew off mid-flight in early January. Boeing shares down nearly 15% since that incident. Meanwhile, Chinese markets on a tear today. The FXI and MCHI each having their best day since January of last year. The K-Web, the best day since July. That's after a major sovereign wealth fund said it was expanding its purchase of ETFs. Our next guest calls today's rally a short-term exuberance. DeWardrick McNeil is senior policy analyst and managing director at Longview Global and a CNBC contributor. DeWardrick, always great to see you. Um, of course, there are a number of measures that uh, China regulators were going to talk uh, to President Xi Jinping about. So the president actually getting a briefing about the markets, particularly the timing of it ahead of the Lunar New Year. Are you optimistic that there will be more measures unveiled? Well, I think let's just start with this this one with market intervention, Melissa. I think that unfortunately this is probably just a short term sugar rush as we're seeing heavy intervention uh, by the Chinese state. I hope that we're going to see a larger focus on the broader economy, not just equity markets, because I think what's missing here, Melissa, is some sort of confidence that is going to be injected into consumers, the private sector. And we have yet to see the government really willing to pull back the layers of what I think is needed in the mainline economy, not equity markets. 
Uh, and until we see that, I, I think this more, this short-term exuberance, as I call it, will fizzle at some point because this is not the, the real challenge that China is facing at the moment. Twitter, I kind of agree with you on that, although I, I do think there's a rational for buying a rationale for buying a lot of these companies. And it gets back to if I didn't think that these uh, policy officials were not who they are, died in the wool. Um, in many cases, they're communists. I would almost think that they're traitors um, because instead of having to buy back your shares and support your market, how about not beating up your companies? And, and ultimately, this is a case where I just think um, that's really the issue. And it's not even the Chinese economy that's uh, the reason that Baba, Tencent, uh, and Co. are trading where they are. So, I mean, do you think they have any understanding of this dynamic? Forget that they actually should be supporting their shares. Well, Tim, I'm glad it's it's you because I wanted to talk to you about Baba. I know you have a, a real interest there. Being I think bicep. Baba has legs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Baba has legs to run for a whole host of reasons. I think the announcements are around Eddie Wu uh, taking over T T Mall and Taobao. Uh, I think uh, Jack Ma and and Joe Tsai buying up shares. But when it comes to larger uh, equities, Tim, I think the real question I have is whether or not the other goal that the government has, which is bringing foreign investors back to this market because there's a bottom, I don't know that I see a bottom uh, here mm-hmm. at all, uh, Tim. So that would be my concern. But the real question, whether or not FOMO, the fear of missing out, is a stronger draw than what I call FOTCOM, which is the fear of what's to come. And that's where I'm always hesitant about the, the Chinese market, equity markets as well, because I just don't know what's around the corner. Fear of F-O-W, what's T-C? Very catchy. He's bad at the game, too. (laughs) He might be right, exactly, but he's... (laughs) It doesn't roll off the tongue at all, but we'll let you work on that. Um, You know, some would argue, though, that the Chinese government is actually going about this in the smart way, because the old playbook was to throw money at whatever sector was failing, and that, in turn, you know, developed into a property bubble and what we have right here. Here, they're, they're letting... Uh, some people fail. They're letting some companies go under. They're sort of letting the rationalization happen, maybe in the long run. Do you think in the long run that's actually better for the Chinese economy? I think until we have some answers, Melissa, on how we deal with the mainline Chinese economy and the issues around what they really need is a new growth model here. We've talked about this over and over and over again. I think monetary policy and monetary easing which we've seen for the last six months, it's not working. And so I know this is not popular, but I've been talking for quite some time about cash payments to households. This is not popular uh, by many economists, and Xi Jinping himself considers this to be welfareism. But at some point, you have to try something different to get the mainline economy going. And this overfocus on the equity markets, I don't think is the answer. DeWardrick, thank you. Always good to see you. Dordrick McNeil, Longview Global. I think Jeff's, I'm sorry, I, yeah. I, I think Dan's feeling a little bit left out. I want to point out that uh, Baba is the B in Zebra. Zebra. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I, I, right. Come on, I'm sorry. Right. Matt. Oddly not yeah. in your clam, though. Excuse me? Uh, no, but you've been talking about the Baba. You've been pounding the table on the Baba. Yeah, but you can't shove a B in a clam. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have a problem. There's the Zebra. Look at that. Yeah. See, finally. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Real Look, team player. Just felt like it was time. Um, but you think that Baba will go higher 
on earnings, even if the sugar rush doesn't work? I, I do. I, I mean, I, I look at a few things in terms of also what we've started to see with some of the seasonal dynamics, what we've seen in, in some of the, the market cap in cash, some of the, the earnings multiples. I mean, the analyst community doesn't need to get uh, a whole lot more uh, even stimulus from the top down to find the valuation compelling. Coming up, Eli Lilly reversing after hitting another all-time high. What sent the shares lower and what could be the next big thing in the pipeline for the company? Plus, just sell it. Nike jumping nearly 3% today. But the chartmaster says it might be time to bench the sportswear giant. We'll find out why. That's when he's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Eli Lilly ending the day lower after hitting an all-time high earlier in the session. The initial boost coming after the company beat revenue and profit expectations for the latest quarter. The pharma giant also reporting that sales of its diabetes drug Munjaro were nearly 10 times higher than the same quarter in 2022, and that sales of its weight loss drug Zetbound hit nearly $200 million it was just released for sale at the beginning of December. It was the first earnings report to include results for ZepBound, which some analysts think could be the best-selling drug of all time. So in yesterday's session, it hit an all-time high. Today's session, mm-hmm. an all-time high. It pulled back. Is it just because right. of where it was, or was there something, do you think, in the call, in the release, that, that sparked it? I think it's just where it, where it was. It was. I mean, it, would, it was up yesterday, I think, right. in front of this. Yes. So it was just sort of a reversal of that. And obviously, it's been up just an enormous amount. And we're only one quarter in. Of of not even a quarter. No, we're in month. one month. One and a half months. Right. And so it, more than, than that is in the stock. But we're still early in this story. So it's volatile. But I'm hanging on. Yeah. They also talked about the phase two for fatty liver, the trial. And the results were good, according to the analyst community. So that's another positive in that column for you. Without question. I mean, it's a valuation concern, right? When you see, listen, traded more than usual volume, I think one and a half, almost two times normal volume on a day where it made an all-time high in reverse, closed unched on the day-ish, maybe slightly lower. That's something to take into consideration. We can look back on today and say that was a day that Eli Lilly set up for that 15 to 20 percent drop that we've seen before. And I'll stand by that. And I think you're going to get a better entry point here. It's not I'm not saying go short Eli Lilly. I'm saying you've got to find a place to buy it. And I think you're going to get a better entry on the downside. Coming up, time to just sell it. The athletic footwear and apparel maker stomping higher today. But the chart master thinks this one might be a sinker. He'll make the case. More Fast Money in two. Shares of Nike closing higher today, but the stock is down nearly 19% in the last year. And the chartmaster thinks it's time to just sell it. Mm. Let's bring him in now to uh, break down the technicals of the trade. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. What do you see? Well, for starters, we know uh, this is a great long-term winner. Let's look at the very first chart. Of course, since its IPO some 45 years ago in December of 1980, um, this is stocks up 20x that of the S&P. But that all-data trend line is being breached. You can see it right there. Uh, second chart, we can annotate the lines a different way. You have this, what you'd call converging trend lines since the COVID low, and we're at risk of breaching. Let's uh, look at that formation shorter term, and you'll see that here. So the question is, do we or don't we uh, break the lows? The real problem is this. When you drop 55% during the 2022 sell-off, and the S&P drops 27, and now the S&P is up 40, and you're up only 20, you have to climb back 75% to make a new high. The S&P is at new highs. Uh, another iteration, just to make the same uh, conclusion a different way, 
Um, this is what a topping out uh, formation looks like. And then, of course, speaking to the issue of being so far behind the S&P final chart, look at the uh, relative strength line. This is simply a ratio chart, one thing divided by another, Nike divided by S&P, which gives you a relative strength line, a relative performance line. We're just making new 52E lows each day. Um, why be in something like this when there's so many things that are good? Carter, thanks. Good to see you. Carter you Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Tim, what do you think? I think he's right. Uh, I think Nike is also a, just a tremendous franchise. But I, I, I've traded this stock both long term and I've, I've had a really great experience owning Nike, but I've also been able to, to short it at different times. I'm flat in the position. Um, I think Lululemon is a name that also is, is a, a world class company. Um, they're also growing internationally. They have a lot of drivers there. I just don't like the valuation here for discretionary. I think they had one of their greatest two year periods ever. Uh, I'm short there. I'm not betting the farm, but I I, I do think I'm going to get it back lower. December highs, we just made 126 were the same highs we made back in April. So it's had trouble at those levels. And the, it goes down a lot faster. You know, grinds higher, takes, the, takes basically the elevator down. I think we're there again. You can probably get this stock 97 or so looking at the charts. Up next, final trades. for the final trade let's go around the horn tim we talked about ford guess who's up in the after hours mm. on the back of ford and i think these these two are going to pull each other higher gm karen yes um i actually forgot for a second my oh. no not general motors is that the what that said <laughs> the yeah. xle maybe. was the xle so yeah. that was my Good final trade. Trade. energy I've, uh, it's in the helm trade it's the x in helm <laughs> <laughs> Again, well played. Yeah, do not well played. Game well at all, uh, Dan. Yeah, Snap went uh, in October from like eight and a half up here until 17 or so. It's trading down at 12. It probably has lower lows. Wait a few days though. It probably fills in a bit of that gap over the next couple. Guy, setting myself up for a fast fire. Win reports after the bell tomorrow, but you stay with it, Melms. Thanks for watching. Fast. See you back here tomorrow at five. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.